Hello, 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 friends. Welcome to season six. This is going to be a season of firsts for our little podcast. We are, for the first time, playing the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, one of the oldest and most well-known RPGs out there. Call of Cthulhu is in its seventh edition, was originally written by Sandy Peterson, and is published by Chaosium Inc., a company that, I should point out, is at the forefront of the creation of the Open RPG Creative License, also known as the Orc License, which was announced recently. We at the Nature of My Game podcast fully support open gaming and stand behind Chaosium, Paizo, Pelgrane Press, and hundreds of other gaming companies in their efforts. This season is based on a scenario from the Call of Cthulhu starter set called Edge of Darkness. This is a great starter scenario, and I highly encourage anyone out there who wants to try their hand at running a game for the first time to check out the starter set and give Edge of Darkness a try. You can use our season as a bit of background prep. This season is also the first appearance on the Nature of My Game podcast for all three of our players. I am so excited to introduce three of my best friends in the entire world and members of my very first and longest standing gaming group to all of you. Playing Constantine O'Malley is my cousin Adam Priester. Playing Margaret Maggie O'Malley and listening on the other side of the world from Japan is Brandy Erickson. And playing Evan Byers is Nick Anderson. These three, along with the others in my original home game, have taught me more about being a game master than anyone else, and I wouldn't be the GM I am today without them. As always, I want to give another shout out to Jean-Luc Bouchard, who composed and produced our intro music, and to my wife, Kelsey Manning, for all her work on our podcast cover art, design, and social media. For those of you who would like to learn more about the Nature of My Game podcast, you can find us at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com. And if you want to support us even more, you can subscribe to our Patreon, where at the $5 Hope You Guess My Name tier, you'll get access to exclusive audio content from the Nature of My Game cast, including our Thanksgiving-themed playthrough of Fiasco by Bully Pulpa Games, and a four-episode Yellow King RPG side quest that wraps up this Friday, along with audio compilations of the fiction that starts every episode of this podcast. And now, with no more ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of Season 6, with a little help from my friends. Arkham, Massachusetts, April 11th, 1920. Jack O'Malley sat at his dining room table, staring off into the distance. How could this have happened? How could he have been so wrong, so misled? Everything he had worked for, everything he'd thought he'd known, gone in a flash. He looked down at the envelope in front of him and pulled out the letter again. He opened it one more time, though he knew it by heart. To my beloved family, I have failed. If you are reading this, then I have failed in my endeavors, but more importantly, I have failed you, my partners, my best friends. I have betrayed you, and it seems I have done so for naught. But let me explain. Many years ago, during my travels in England, I met a most interesting man, an art dealer, a merchant of antiquities, a collector of curiosities. I thought to befriend this man as a contact, someone who might have use of our services in the future, who perhaps could help us expand our business across the ocean. But the more I got to know him, the more I learned of his power. You see, he was more than just a man, more than just a collector. He could do things, learn things, see things that no ordinary man could. I was mesmerized and drunk with the possibility of greatness. In short, I was weak. The man told me that if I simply did as he asked, granted him a few favors, that I too could access this power. Grant him a few favors and put my name down in the book. How could I turn him down? Perhaps any one of you would have seen through the trappings of power, but I did not. And until recently, I believed I had made the right decision. I did the favors as needed and signed my name as he asked. But now I see the error of my ways. I have betrayed you, betrayed myself, and given my life over to something well beyond my control and my understanding. And for what? More and more I see that I was just a pawn, nothing else. 
I shall never forgive myself, and as such I expect no forgiveness from you. But I owe you one thing at least, the truth. Hence this letter. It is the truth as best as I can tell it. I am, and will always be, truly sorry. With all my love, and expecting none in return. Your partner. Jack folded the letter, returned it to its envelope once more, closed his eyes, and sighed. And then he reached across the table, pulled the candle close to him, and lit the corner of the envelope, letting it and its contents fall into ashes. Our story starts on an average Monday in 1926, April 26th, 1926, in fact, in Boston. Flowers are blooming, spring is in the air, but for one particular Massachusetts family, things are not so happy, though they don't know it yet. On this particular spring day, where do we find Margaret O'Malley? She is just waking up in her bedroom at like, I don't know. 11 a.m. after a long night working her shift at Jitterbugs, where she is a hostess, waitress, server, flirter, whatever. <laughs> so she does she's what she just needs waking to do. up. Exactly. <laughs> cool. So, you know, you're kind of moving around, moving around your house, and you step outside to pick up the newspaper for the day. And a young boy comes off the sidewalk and walks up to you. He's probably no more than 12 years old. And he hands you a note. This wouldn't be particularly surprising to you. Many of the kind of street youths around Boston earn a few pennies delivering messages like this. But the note is from your great-grandfather, Jack O'Malley, the patriarch of your family and the last remaining O'Malley from his generation. And that is a bit strange. I mean, I think you probably have a pretty good relationship with your great-grandfather, but the fact that he's sending you a note specifically is a bit strange. And he's asking you to come to him at St. Mary's Teaching Hospital in Arkham at 2 p.m. today. You know that Jack has been ill for some time, but why he's summoning you to come see him in particular, you're not really sure. Okay, I mean, I know that he's my grandpa. Like you said, we have a reasonable relationship. So I toss the kid a couple pennies or whatever, and I'm like, thank you. And I head back inside to figure out why I need to go to the hospital today. Sounds good. What about Evan Byers, Nick? Uh, where do we find him on this sunny Monday morning? So sunny Monday morning, Evan uh, doesn't work. He is out golfing. He's probably just finished. Um, his uh, butler, Jonah, was caddying. He's definitely dressed like full-on golf attire. Knickers, goofy hat, <laughs> all the great, just ridiculous golf things. Is there like a puff on top of the hat? Oh, yeah. I mean, it looks good. It fits. He spent a lot <laughs> right. of money on these clothes, but it's goofy as hell. So you're out on the you're out on the links, as they say, and similar to with Margaret, a young boy who they've somehow let on to the course runs up to you and hands you a note. And it's the same thing. In this case, it's your Jack is actually your great uncle, but he has asked you to come to him at the hospital in Arkham at 2 p.m. today. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Just getting notes, weird messages. Those are things Evan <laughs> does. He directs the, the kid to his caddy to get a tip because he doesn't deal with money himself. And uh, yeah, he'd head to the clubhouse to change because as sweet as he looks, knows he shouldn't go out in public like that. <laughs> Amazing. And finally, where does the street youth or a street youth find Constantine O'Malley, Adam? So Constantine O'Malley, this was one of Constantine's good days. So he actually was able to wake up on time, uh, a crack of 6 a.m. And he is heading or however long it takes and maybe it takes him a little bit to his job at the uh, Boston Globe. So he is a large, large kind of gangly guy, wrinkled clothes that don't fit him very well, very kind of bland colors. I imagine his arms kind of being a little bit too long for his body and he's kind of wandering around looking at, he always has his camera with him, so maybe he's uh, snapping some shots of some you know, interesting buildings or uh, landmarks in the city. So he is this morning making his way to the uh, globe. All right, and so the, the street youth finds you as well. Uh, you also receive a similar note from Jack O'Malley, who is also your great grandfather. But let's be clear, as, as Brandy made clear in character creation, that you are not siblings. She You're flat out siblings. refused to be siblings with you. You are first cousins. <laughs> it's as close as I could get. It is an important, important note. <laughs> he has asked you to come to him at St. Mary's at 2 p.m. as well. So Constantine, over the last few years, has kind of been a little more distant from his family. So he's a little surprised by this as he's surprised by a lot of things that happen to him on a daily basis. He gets the note. He ponders it a little bit. He completely forgets about his what you know maybe the project he's on from his editor he forgets about the fact that it would be reasonable and expected probably to let the paper know that he's not going to be there or turn in his things and he just starts wandering off sounds good so all of you would know that arkham is a medium-sized town about 30 miles north of boston and so if you caught a train you obviously would have to follow the train schedules but that takes about an hour or if any of you Evan, in particular, has access to a car. It takes about two hours by car, but you can obviously control your own schedule that way. Oh, Anything Evan that any has of you... Car. Yeah, Evan for sure has a car and a driver, yeah. I assume. Oh, no. Evan drives himself, and he is not great at it. <laughs> anything that any of you do to kind of prepare to head up to Arkham, to anybody you want to check in on or anything you want to bring with you, and then how do you, how do you get there? Evan already said that he's going to take a car, but... You don't know that the others have gotten the same note. I swing by Jitterbugs just to let my boss or someone who's there, because my boss probably isn't there, let them know that I will be in possibly later because I have to go to visit my sick family member. But I'll be back when I can. And then I catch the train. Constantine, yes, I don't think he's not going to let work know. They kind of have expected this behavior, unfortunately. They don't they don't like it, but this is kind of more of his norm. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. They don't know what's going on. But he will just... I don't think he has a car either, so he will also check the train schedule and catch a train up there. All right, you two are probably on the same train, and I assume you probably run into each other. I don't think that either of you are probably riding in first class necessarily, so you probably run into each other. Margaret, do you, like, look down and pretend like you don't see him? <laughs> no. No. I just, you know make casual chit chat, but there is an awkward silence. Definitely, and Constantine is very surprised to see Margaret. Again, it just, his days are, yeah. Surprised to see Margaret, and he's like, oh, Margaret, what are you doing here? Are you going to visit great-grandfather as well? Yeah, yeah, is that, you're doing that too? Yeah, did you get a note from a youth? <laughs> I did get a note from a youth. They came by my home, yeah. I hope everything's okay. 
I'm I'm what, sure. What, it's what do you think's going on? I'm sure he's oh, okay. fine. He's right. he's he's older. I believe you. He's just older. His time is probably coming sooner, and he just wants to see us one last time. Okay. All right, Margaret. Well, I trust you. You you know what's going on. Meanwhile, Evan is going to drive. So anything that you do before you before you head up? Yeah, so I'd I'd probably swing by uh swing by home, which is my parents' house, but it's a manor. Like Evan has his own wing. It's not sad that he lives okay. with his parents. <laughs> I mean it is, but it's but not in the same way that it might be for other people. Right. It's he doesn't have to <laughs> see his parents every day. He can walk down, get breakfast in his underwear, and no one looks at him. Right. So yeah, he'd swing by home, he'd drop off Jonah, and you know, just mention to his parents that you know Uncle Jack got in touch, and he's gonna gonna head out. He's gonna take the car, and uh, yeah, then he's he's gonna drive as fast as he possibly can. Okay, who's Jonah? Oh, Jonah is his butler. He was caddying for him. Uh, oh, of course, of course. Do you think there were speed limits in 1926? I think there were, but I I think I read somewhere that just as today they were not exactly closely followed. Well, and I, I assume in 1926, as fast as he can is like 35 miles an hour. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read once that like in 1910 or something, there were two cars in the entirety of Ohio and they still crashed. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody had any idea what they were doing with a car. Yeah, exactly. So as the three of you on the train or in the car make your way out of Boston and up to Arkham, the scenery changes. Obviously, you're, you exit the city and you start to, to move out into a little bit more rural area. The area between Boston and Arkham is is beautiful countryside. And it's a, especially on a spring day like this, it's a it's a pleasant ride up there. Um, though perhaps not as much for Evan since I think roads then were quite bumpy. And if you're going as fast as you're saying, it's probably a very uncomfortable trip, but maybe that's how Evan prefers it. He's into it. So all of you arrive at um, the train station. The train drops you off right in the middle of downtown Arkham. And St. Mary's Teaching Hospital is also in the middle of downtown Arkham, adjacent to the historic Miskatonic University. And so you all probably pass by the university as you're making your way to the hospital. Though the hospital building itself looks old, uh, you know that it's one of the best around. That's part of the, you know, your great grandfather lives and has worked most of his life in Arkham, but... There's a reason that he's, you know, getting the care that he's receiving at this particular hospital. It's it's very good. And it boasts kind of the latest in modern equipment and techniques, along with some of the best medical practitioners on the eastern seaboard. Inside the hospital lobby is bustling with patients being admitted and others being discharged, visitors with no idea where to go, and doctors, nurses, and other staff members trying to make sense of the chaos. But the information desk is able to provide you with directions to your great-grandfather's slash your great-uncle's room on the third floor. Any of you doing anything on your way up before you get in there, or are you just kind of heading straight there to figure out what's going on? Are we imagining that we are uh, arriving the same time as Evan? I don't know. Is, is, Evan, a, is Evan a punctual guy? No, he, he took the long way. He was enjoying the drive. Yeah, so maybe Margaret and Constantine get up there before Evan does. All right. And then we go up. Yep. All right. So Margaret and Constantine arrive first. And as you walk into the hospital room, you see the smiling face of Jack O'Malley, your great grandfather, looking at you as you arrive. And I think Evan probably comes in bustling right behind, not in any hurry, because, you know, he's never been forced. He's never been asked to hurry once in his life, but gets there right, right around the same time. And... It's clear to all of you when you look at Jack that he's in pain. And for some reason, you know, you're all kind of realizing now that he has chosen the three of you specifically to summon to his room. 
and as soon as you all get there, he starts to speak kind of in a rasping whisper, like he's struggling to get his words out. Uh, he looks at Evan, who comes in last, and says, Please, Evan, uh, shut that door, will you? I, I don't want anyone overhearing us. Yeah, of course. And uh, so Evan turns around and does it. He's pretty surprised. Like, he's not super close with his great uncle Jack. So he expected a lot more people to be there. As uh, Evan closes the door, Jack says, Okay, now, down to business. I, I'm sure you're all wondering why I called you here and probably also why I called you three particularly here. The truth is, I trust the three of you. Don't ask me why exactly. Call it an old man's intuition. I know that you're all smart, extremely capable, and can keep your cool in a crisis. And though I wish it weren't so, a crisis is what I have for you. Now, you must all know that I'm not long for this world. And if I pass on before sharing what I'm about to tell you, the secret would die with me. And that, to me, is unacceptable. So if you'd humor an old man and his stories one more time, I'd like to tell you one I'm least proud of. And I think you all, when he says this, would kind of think back to, you know, no matter how close you are with him, whether you've spent a lot of time with your great-grandfather slash great-uncle or not, he's a storyteller. You know, he's a, he and his brother and both of their spouses have run a kind of supernatural investigation business for a long time. And of all four of them, Jack is the best storyteller of the bunch. He likes to kind of embellish on the things that they've seen and the things that they've found. Um, and so he starts up and says, Wait, wait, wait. I sit down next to him and I like, I hold his hand. I'm like, okay, great grandpa, we're here for you. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> In my youth, I and some fellow students at Miskatonic University became involved in what we believed to be an innocent exploration of the occult. This was long before Patrick and I had even considered going into the investigation business. It was all just fanciful to me. Anyways, this group of us were led by a slightly older man named Marion Allen. Marion convinced us, or convinced me really, to purchase an old farmhouse a few miles west of here, near the village of Ross's Corners, where we, we could conduct seances and do other more physical research in privacy. Alas, our work had unforeseen results. Our last experiment summoned an evil force into this world. Instead of attempting to expel the thing, we were afraid and abandoned the old house, confident that the magic that brought the evil to this world would also keep it confined in the vacant house, or send it back after a short time. However, and he kind of looks downcast at this point, like he, like he actually feels very ashamed. I have since discovered that the spell that binds the entity to the house lasts only as long as the casters live, and sadly, I am the last of the group. I fear that upon my death, the thing will go free and wreak havoc on the folks nearby. I am too old, too ill, and too much of a coward to go back to that house to try to banish the entity myself. I am guilty of many things, but my deepest sin was unleashing that horror on that fateful night. I am convinced the entity will escape its confinement on my death." At this point, you can tell that his voice is starting to get weaker. And then he's like really struggling to finish what he has to say. And so if any of you try to interrupt or ask questions, he kind of like waves you down because he's trying to get this out. And he says, within 48 hours of my death, my lawyer will read my will and the house will pass into the hands of my children. I fear what would happen if that thing was still inside. Take the box, he says, gesturing weakly toward an innocuous metal box on the nightstand beside the bed. All the aid I can offer you lies within. 
You must find the courage to send that thing back to where it came from. I can't say why for sure, but I believe that only the three of you, among all my many descendants, are capable of succeeding. You must see that this is done. Do it for me, as my dying wish. Please. And as he gasped out the last word, please, a sudden spasm overtakes him. He doubles up, groans, and then coughs up a huge gout of blood before falling backwards, unmoving. I think, Margaret, you probably get covered in this blood that he coughs up. How do you all react to this moment? I'm in shock. I'm covered in blood. <laughs> like, definitely confused and unsettled, and still not entirely sure why he was summoned. But Evan's reaction is going to be to go get a nurse or a doctor. You know, blood is supposed to be inside the body. <laughs> he knows that for sure. He knows that. He's learned that in his life. And I think Constantine's kind of awkwardly, kind of was awkwardly hanging out maybe in one of the corners of the room. And as he was talking about more and more of the supernatural, the occult, he started to get more and more interested and also visibly, you know, he's shaking a little bit, visibly upset. His eyes are darting around the room, almost like he's trying to escape, but at the same time, maybe even moving closer to the bed, feeling more interest. When he dies, I think he's still just hung up on the on the occult and what he was told. Gotcha. So I do need all of you to roll me a sanity check because I think, especially for Margaret, but probably for all three of you, this is like a bit of a traumatic experience to see someone that you're in the room with potentially die. So let's start with uh, let's start with Constantine. Go ahead and roll me a sanity check. I feel like yours is the most most tenuous situation at this point. So Constantine somehow, some way, rolled an eighteen. <laughs> so stayed under that twenty. <laughs> So he is, he is, he's holding on. Amazing. What about you, Margaret? 46, so I am good. All right, and Evan? 71, so that is a failure. All right, so Evan takes one point of sanity damage, and I think you kind of, Evan, you kind of uh, sprint out of the room, but you're a little shaken by the experience, and you, like, bang your, bang, bang the door against your head as you're trying to open it. You kind of, like, bumble out of the room and shout for a nurse. And very quickly, the room fills with interns and nurses, and they, they start trying to, like, work on Jack as best they can, trying to revive him. They're doing CPR. Someone shouts out, get Dr. Roberts in here now! And another one of the nurses tries to usher the three of you out of the room. I'll definitely grab the box. Okay. How big was the box? Medium size. Like, it, it's not heavy for you to carry, but, it, you know, it, it looks like it can fit some things. It's not a sunken treasure chest or anything. It's not a, no, it's not a sunken treasure chest, but it's also like not a shoebox. It's bigger than that. Somewhere between a shoebox and a shrunken shed treasure chest. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. So yes, I will grab it. The only thing that could come into my, the only thing I was thinking about was a blue apron box. And I don't think that's a reference that most people will, uh, that most people will know the exact size of. Oh, uh, congratulations on getting that sponsorship, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> that's blue apron for your <laughs> nightly meal needs. Constantine is going to like, almost hesitate to like, like he's going to say something to the nurses, but before he's ushered out, he's going to snap a picture of great grandpa Jack before he leaves. What a weird thing to do. <laughs> it's, it's a, it is a really weird thing to do. And yeah, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> he was also concerned about the box, but like seeing Evan grab it, he's going to be like, okay. Imagine there's like the old timey bright flash and everyone just stares <laughs> at it. <laughs> One of the nurses just looks back at you and like... I was just going to say, I don't... I just ask the nurses once we get out of the room if they have a change of clothes. They like usher you down the hall and offer you like a 
like a set of scrubs if you want to put those on. I would love that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So what do you all want to do? So I'm going to make a... Uh... What's in the box? I've literally been <laughs> sitting here. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> I mean, but seriously, I, yeah. I think Constantine, like, again, he, he had a connection to, you know, his great-grandfather, especially earlier in life. Again, maybe not recently. Not that he's not bothered by it at all. But again, the talk of the occult, he wants to see what's in the box. Evan's with him on getting into the box, but wants to get out of the hospital. So Uncle Jack's got a house, right? Let's uh, Let's head there. Uh, yeah, Uncle Jack does have a house. He's the last remaining... I mean, he, he's been in the hospital for a while, but, you know, he did have a place that he that he was living before he was moved into the hospital. One would hope. So, uh, so yeah, I, I can drive us there. There's a great comfy seat for Maggie and Constantine. There's a whole trunk for you. Okay, okay, Evan. I'm fine with that. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate you giving me a ride. <laughs> Come sit in the back with me. Come on. Okay, Margaret. Okay, I'll do what you say. <laughs> Constantine is a real delight, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots of friends. I just feel like I need to take care of him. He's like my child. He's older. He than does me. need to be taken care of. <laughs> All right. So uh, the three of you drive over to um, to great grandfather slash great uncle Jack's house. You know, he probably hires has someone hired that comes every week or every two weeks to just kind of tidy up. But, you know, it's not being lived in. So it, it's, it, you know, it, it smells kind of dusty and dank. He's been sick for a little while. You know, you probably remember where the key to the house is hiding under a rock somewhere. And you all let yourselves in. So I'll uh, I'll take a look around and observe the uh, dusty and dankness and suggest maybe we sit out on the porch. I'm like, does anyone want some tea? Let me see if there is any tea here. I think it's approaching happy hour. What is the inside of the, I mean, okay, so like dusty, but like, what is the inside of like, I'm imagining, does it have like tons of like knickknacks from all of like Jack's adventures? Like, is it cluttered? Like, what does it kind of look like? Yeah, it's actually quite clean and quite organized, but yes, there are lots of, there are lots of knickknacks, items, trinkets, kind of intentionally positioned like they're being used as decoration. There's also a lot of books of all sorts that they, that, you know, he was a voracious reader and also just kind of as part of their investigations, he did a lot of, he was, he was kind of the primary researcher of the group. I think that like, again, Constantine will listen to whatever anyone tells him, but the first thing he's going to do maybe before that is he's just going to start wandering around the house. I'm assuming he hasn't been there from a few years, but he's just like looking at things, maybe picking things up, examining them. But then when everyone suggests sitting outside, he will like begrudgingly go outside and sit on the porch. Sounds good. I, I also love that 19-year-old Margaret has like immediately turned into mom mode. She's like, she's offering to make tea. She's like making sure Constantine doesn't get tricked by Evan. I have like three younger siblings and we don't <laughs> yeah, have a no, mom. That, <laughs> that, that wasn't a trick. That was a genuine invitation. Yeah. <laughs> it's roomy back there in the, in the trunk. <laughs> it seemed where he would be most comfortable. Yeah. All right. So you all kind of, you know, with with probably some tea, make your way out to the porch. Who's going to open the box? So I suppose I'm still carrying the box. So I will uh, I'll go ahead and open it. You know, I'll, I'll wait till everyone's around because I'm not super enthusiastic. But what else are you going to do? If someone gives you a box, you open the box. Of course. So there's a few things inside when you open it up. There's a letter that's just sitting there loosely um, on top. There's a yellowed envelope. There's a slim journal. Looks like a leather journal held together by cords. Maybe it was handmade. And 
The strangest thing is a small sarcophagus-shaped gold box that looks very old, perhaps ancient, and has, like, hieroglyphs on the outside. I'll distribute the contents, so I'll, I'll hand uh, Maggie the letter and uh, Constantine the journal, and I'd like to look at the, sar- the sarcophagus. Is the, the letter is in the envelope, or there is an additional envelope? There's an additional envelope. There's the letter, and there's an envelope, and there's a journal, and then there's the sarcophagus. Okay, so I'll give Maggie the letter and the envelope. Okay. I will read the open, loose letter first. All right, so it's from Jack and seems to be directed to the three of you, though it's just addressed to my beloved family, but, you know, based on him calling you and handing you the box, it seems like it's directed to the the three of you. And it says, To my beloved family, In the years after the nightmarish events of that night in my youth, I have seen many strange things. Only now do I begin to grasp the truth of reality and the scope of what is happening in the world. I've tried in my small way to combat the horrors and make amends for my part in bringing one to our plane of existence. What I have left to offer, what riches and wealth I have, I will put to good use in dealing with these abominations. It is the very least this old coward can do. I could never make myself go back to that little farmhouse and put those events to rights. I too gravely feared that which my friends and I loosed upon this countryside. Nothing of consequence has yet taken place, but with my death, I fear the bonds will be broken, and that horror free to come and go as it pleases. Lives not yet taken already weigh heavy on my conscience. The method of delivering the thing out of this world is still in that accursed house. The translations made by Marion from the book De Vermiis Mysteriis. I was never strong enough to take on the task, but I have hope that you are. In ridding the world of this, perhaps you will save my soul from hell. I fear that my deeds have not been enough to release me from this heavy burden. I do not expect your forgiveness for what I ask of you. And it's signed, Jack O'Malley. How do you think Margaret feels after reading that? And do you read it aloud or you just kind of read it to yourself first? I had read it aloud. Margaret is anxious, I guess, if Jack feels that he has done such a huge misdeed, committed such a huge atrocity, and she and Evan and Constantine are the ones who are tasked with fixing it. Yeah, she's anxious about that. That seems like a huge weight. What about Evan and Constantine? I think that Constantine, again, this has kind of been up. He didn't have a lot to do with the family business until recently, so I think the thoughts are just, you know, maybe he even mutters a little bit, like, you hear him muttering something about like a, a myrtle, but it's just, he has not had a lot to do with the family business. He's kind of gone off on his own. He has been interested in cult a lot over the last few years, but not with the family. So he's just thinking of connections or like, you know, is this, is there a greater purpose to maybe some of the things that have gone on? And then for Evan, this is definitely a, like a moment of realization or the gravity of the situation hits him where it went from a fun little ghost adventure like the ones he'd been on before to oh yeah jack's dead and he was talking about evil that's bad yeah he's remarkably less enthusiastic about the uh, sarcophagus in his hands too he had gone from very <laughs> interested to uh maybe i shouldn't just pop this open and get this tiny mummy going okay <laughs> sarcophagi are never evil it's fine <laughs> I do so this book I'm not even going to try to pronounce the the book that you said but this book it said that there are clues to stopping the evil in the book yeah so it said that the 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 way to get rid of the thing 
is still in the house and there it's translations made by Marion Allen who is the like the older yeah. man that was leading the group translations made by Marion from the book De Vermiis Mysteriis day book <laughs> Latin book sounds good and then Margaret the yellowed envelope you flip that open also and there's a deed to a property on Boone Road near Ross's corner you assume it's the deed to the pro the farmhouse that he was talking about and also a key which looks quite old but you would assume is the key to the farmhouse how far away is this from where we are slash Boston it's just a few miles west of Arkham so you know a similar distance be between there and Boston, but relatively close to Arkham. Sorry, moment here. We're going to Boone Farm. Uh, Boone <laughs> Road. What is Boone Farm? Boone Farm's a cheap wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I, I looked it up just to double check. I was remembering, right? One of the top ones is a $4 bottle of Boone Farm's Blue Hawaiian. So you know is it's it blue? good wine. It's blue. <laughs> and it's, you know, the traditional Hawaiian wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so Evan, you start looking at the sarcophagus shaped box. You have anything in history or archaeology? No. All right. Well, then there's there's some writing on the outside. It looks like hieroglyphs to you, but you know, any more than that, you have no idea. Right. It doesn't it feels what you would expect the weight of the box to be. It doesn't really sound like there's anything inside. So is it stone? Is it heavier? Is it? It feels like it's actually uh, gold. Okay, and it does it open easily? Like if I just grab the top and try to crack uh, it yeah. open, I'm going to be doing that, you know, away from my face. Don't want the curse dust to hit you. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like the size of your hand, right? Like it's not a very big box. It's like a small little thing. But yes, the the lid does open up. Yeah, so so I'm gonna do that at arm's length. Okay, you open it up and there's nothing inside, but there are odd carvings on the inside of the box lid that don't look like the hieroglyphs on the outside. It looks something. It looks like something different. If Constantine sees this and, you know, sees Evan turning it over and not maybe like with a confused look on his face, would a cult, I mean, could I make roll on a cult check on either the hieroglyphs on the outside, I assume less, but maybe the strange carvings on the inside? Uh, you can. Do you have history or archaeology either? No. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and give me a, go ahead and give me an occult roll. Almost an extreme success, but it is a critical success. Or it's the hard, middle one. Hard is success. Hard, hard success, success, yes. Yeah. Hard, it is a hard success for a cult. Nice. Cool. So you look over as Evan is opening up the box, and you see these carvings on the inside of the box, and you immediately know that they look like writings attributed by certain occultists to the lost Pacific continent of Mu, M-U, which is... It's kind of like, or some people think is the same as Atlantis, like a continent that was lost under the sea. But you maybe have seen someone in the occult circles that you kind of are a part of, like showing people this writing, but you don't know how to translate it. Okay, so Constantine will like, will be like, oh, Evan, I've seen this. Let me see, let me see. And like try to grab the, try to grab the box from you. Yeah. Be like, uh, oh, hand it is, over. This is, this is from the, the lost, the lost continent of Mu. You might know it as Atlantis, but I've I've seen this before. I've been I've been shown this. Uh, and this is what this is fascinating. Well, I don't know that. I don't know how to read it, but I can just I can tell you where it's from. That's something. I mean, that's something. 
<laughs> so then the only thing left is the journal. And Constantine, you're holding the journal. You open it up and there's quite a bit in here. It looks like it was written kind of over time and it seems like it was your great-grandfather's journal. The entry dates seem to go from June 1856 to May 1861, which would have been around the time that he was in college. Uh, so potentially around the same time that he was, this whole situation happened. But there's a lot here. And if you wanted to kind of read through it to see what was there, it would take you, it would take you a while to read through. I think Constantine is just going to skim through it, maybe specifically near the end for right now. So maybe he'll flip to like the 1861, you know, maybe the last like five pages, let's say. Sure. So it looks like by the end, he's talking about seeing that Marion Allen had died. The last thing in there is a list of names. Uh, they all seem to be in the same handwriting, but a different colored ink. So like as if they were written at different times. And each of the people in the list of names has a date next to them. So there's one that says Robert Mencken, March 1857. One that says Harold Copley, August 1857. Then there's Marion Allen, the name that you recognize, August 1857. Crawford Harris, January 1890. Cecil Jones, March 1919. And then the last name written is Jack O'Malley, and there's no date written next to it. I am going to take out a pen or grab a pen from something and write today's date next to Jack O'Malley's name. All right. April 1926. Yes. All right. And say... He was really the last one. So what do you think you all do from here? You have this letter that says that, you know, that kind of is kind of a, a last, you know, a last apology from Jack, along with a little bit of information about what to do. There's the deed and the key. There's this weird sarcophagus that doesn't have anything inside it, but has some strange writing on the inside and the outside. And then there's this journal, which, you know, you certainly could dig into, but it would take you a while. What do you all think you want to do? I think we should go back to Boston and regroup, I guess. I mean, like, Constantine should take the sarcophagus to whoever he overheard talking about the lost continent of Mu. And then I think, I mean, between Evan and I, we should go to the library, dig through uh, Jack's house, possibly find this Latin book. So whoever, you know, if someone stays here, obviously they don't go back to Boston. But I don't think we want to head to the Ross's corner place right now completely unprepared i assume jack has some connections to the university still yes jack definitely still has some connections to the university you would also know that the orn library at miskatonic university which is a famously well-stocked library is actually also open to the public you can't check books out but you can definitely go look at things there uh, evan's rich everywhere is open to him <laughs> that's a good point it's a good point so yeah I, I think uh deeper dive into the journal and maybe the house and hit the university I think while Constantine will be like, I would like to go to the uh, the library and, and, and check out the library. Maybe I can find something there. And then maybe I can go back and talk to the my uh, LOS, which local occult society, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But let's check out the library first. I think I like I like books. I'm good at reading. You are very good at reading, Constantine. <laughs> that compliment means a lot to Constantine like that that he, there might be some sarcasm he doesn't pick up on it at all like Evan complimenting him means means something to him he puffs out his like awkward chest a little bit and he's like okay let's go 
<laughs> His awkward chest. Yeah, when I commission the artwork for this season, I'm going to make sure to include that, that Constantine has an awkward chest. <laughs> please, please do. It's awkward. So Constantine wants to go to the Orn Library. Evan, where do you want to go? I will poke around the house. I would like to look at the stuff, find the stuff, both in terms of what, uh, you know, connection to this, but also other stuff. Evan likes stuff. Sure, sure. Are you going to keep a hold of the journal? I mean, I will keep it unless I think ultimately, like, you know, going along with Margaret's plan again, like Margaret's kind of taken charge and Constantine's more than happy to follow her lead. And she said we should explore it more. And so Constantine will explore it more. But since he's at the library, he's going to go to the library first. But he'll just okay. take it because it's in his possession unless someone grabs it from him. Yeah. Do either of the other of you want to take the journal from him and look through it? Or are you going to let you're going to let Constantine handle the journal as well? He can keep it. Yeah. All right, so Evan's going to go through the house, and then, Margaret, are you heading back to Boston immediately? Are you going to wait for others and do something else? Margaret will go with Constantine to the university library and look up whatever thing he is not looking up. Okay, sounds good. So the two of you head over to the Orn Library. Meanwhile, Evan stays at Jack's house and kind of starts looking around. Evan, anything in particular that you're looking for, or are you just trying to kind of get a sense of what's here? Yeah, more just taking an inventory of the house, you know, again, focusing maybe on stuff that seems of that time period or anything, but just a general inventory, really covering as much ground and, and things as I can. Gotcha. So as you start to look at things in the house, there are definitely things that are like displayed around, which may have been like items that he has found or has been given over the course of his career as like a supernatural investigator. You know, trinkets and things, they don't seem to be particularly valuable, just kind of maybe things that remind him of particular investigations or particular work that he did. There's also like quite a bit of what you would consider to be like, I don't know, like ghost, like ghost catching or ghost like contacting devices you know like there's a ouija board and other things like that because it you know it, you would know that a lot of the work that they do is that people think that places are haunted and so they come in and like try to figure out what's going on most of the time it's not actually haunted but occasionally they've dealt with some things that they would consider haunting and then there's a lot of books you know some of them are occult some of them deal with like you know quote unquote real ancient history some kind of go further afield you know, after, you know, you probably look around for an hour or two, kind of as the other two are going to the library, there's nothing that stands out to you as particularly relevant to this case. And in fact, you would say most of the things that you find seem to be more from the time, starting around the time that he was starting the investigation business. There, It doesn't seem like he has a lot of like stuff from college. So there's, you know, that maybe tracks a little bit with the fact that he kind of felt so ashamed about this, that he's he doesn't have much that would remind him of this time. So I'll grab specifically any like local history books. You know, if there's anything that just very, very quickly seems relevant. And then uh, I'd also like to collect some uh, some of the ghost contacting equipment, whether it's the, the Ouija board, I'll probably grab one of those. That seems good to have. If there's like seeing stones, anything we can uh, talk to this evil spirit with that I think might might come in handy. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. All right. So meanwhile, Constantine and Margaret head over to the Orn Library. You know, you, you head to Miskatonic University. It's a you know, it's it's a nice campus sitting in the middle of Arkham. And the Orn Library is a grand building sitting in the center of campus. 
for here and we have this journal we should read the journal so that we don't have to come back here if we find anything but I, that doesn't fit into his character so i think he's just <laughs> he has the journal but he's gonna look again he's just gonna focus on the on the move gotcha and what about uh what about margaret margaret would like to look for the day book the latin book and see if there's anything that she can glean from that even though i don't know if she's good at latin Okay, sounds good. Why don't, let's start with Constantine. Why don't you give me a library use check? That library skill, give it to me. Okay, so I rolled a 44 over 40, but I am actually going to do one of the, the fun mechanics and spend a little bit of luck to push that to a success. So is a four, I mean, if I do it exactly, like is a 40 out of 40 a success or a failure? That's a success, yeah. You, you're okay. trying to hit your number or go below. So if you spend okay. four points of luck, you can make this I will a success. Spend four points of luck. My Constantine might not have a lot of willpower, but he is lucky. So <laughs> I will spend four points of luck. So that is a success with library use. All right, he's. I think he's going to need it. So you spend a couple of hours, you know, searching through the stacks of books. It's a it's a huge library, and it really is kind of sometimes difficult to find what you're looking for. But you you are able to find a book on the fabled civilization of Mu, and you start leafing through it. You know, it doesn't seem like there is, at least in this library, kind of like a translation guide or anything like that. There's no Rosetta Stone of Mu. <laughs> There's no Rosetta Stone of Moo, <laughs> but you do see some some kind of reproductions of sea eroded carvings that are supposed to be Moovian in origin, and they look very similar to the carvings on the inside of the sarcophagus, but there's nothing in the way of translation in the book. And there's you kind of read through and there's it doesn't seem like anyone has ever been able to translate this language. That makes sense, since it's half myth uh, mythical. <laughs> since it's probably not real. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's made up. It's hard to, you know. Could I then, so, okay, look at the language. Could I, I don't think I ever examined the box. Can I do, like, a, a spot hidden on the box? Or if that's even necessary, just to examine if I see anything differently from, like, that the Evan didn't see? Sure, you don't have history or archaeology, though? Nope. Or language Egyptian? Ooh, no, I didn't put points into that. <laughs> if you'd have told us what we needed beforehand, maybe. <laughs> you look it over, all that you really can see is that there's there's writing on the outside, there's writing on the inside, and those writings are different from each other. Roll me, a, roll me an intelligence check. All right, my other thought was like, do I know, I mean, either from the book or just from my knowledge of my occult knowledge, like any connection between Mu and ancient Egyptian or ancient native? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you would you would know, I, I think, because, you know, maybe you heard a talk on the ancient civilization of Mu or something like that. That's where you saw the writing before. The legends of Mu, which are closely tied to the legends of Atlantis, say that the civil that civilization was around at the same time of some of the early Egyptian civilizations. And so there's, you know, some of the evidence of Atlantis or of Mu comes from references of Egyptian hieroglyphs that people have found from some of the older dynasties that talk about people that some scholars have connected to this ancient civilization. Okay, got it. And my intelligence role was is a hard success. Oh, okay. So um, you would think that there is almost certainly a professor 
at this university that would be able to pretty easily translate the hieroglyphs, at least, for you. And that's actually probably something you could talk to the library, like the librarians, about like seeing if you can get in contact with somebody. Before I do that, since I have the book out, Constantine is also going to see if there's any mention of curses, evil, hauntings, things like that, that would fall under what great-grandpa Jack had kind of talked about. Sure. You read through... I mean, you try to kind of skim it. There definitely are connections between the lost civilization of Mu and, you know, kind of some ancient curses. Like, you know, that's that's a part of the history, just like it would be a part of kind of any ancient history. But nothing that seems similar to what Jack had talked about. Though what Jack had talked about was pretty vague anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then I will, uh, I will pursue the lead of the... Or actually, I mean, I think... Constantine would actually probably prefer to like not like just see if he could look it up himself. So I will try to find myself a book of ancient Egyptian, see if I can translate it myself rather than talk to people. Okay, you de- you definitely can you definitely can find a book of Egyptian hieroglyphs like a like a translation book. Make me an archaeology roll. Do you have any do you have any points in it? I mean, is it a, is is there a standard number of points in archaeology? Is it like one? One. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. So give me a give me a roll. I was really close. I got a thirteen over one. All right. So <laughs> if you want to, you can spend twelve points of luck to succeed. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that committed. <laughs> okay. So he'll I, he'll like pick up the book and he's muttering and you know it's just, oh, I can't 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 make any can't make any heads or tails of this. He's uh, he's gonna wander over to Margaret and be like, Margaret, can you can you read? Can you read this? Can you read hieroglyphs? Do you have archaeology, Margaret? I do not believe that I do. No, I do not. Okay. Okay. Well, I thought I thought you might. You're, you know, you you can take charge. You're good at things. I'm I'm sorry, Constantine, but yeah, we'll figure something out. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe you can maybe you can talk. I, I you know what? Absolutely. I have no problem contacting the the Egyptian professor or whatever. I have no problem doing that. Sure. So I think as Constantine was like looking up this this information, you went to the reference catalog just to see whether like is there a copy of De Vermiis Mysteriis in this library and found that there actually is a copy of it held by the university, but it's marked in the reference materials as locked away in the restricted collection. Okay. I would like to, Margaret would like to, find a librarian, try and sweet talk her way into the restricted section. Sure. So you are able to find a librarian. She's actually a a younger woman, you know, seems a little kind of homely. Maybe she's recently graduated and has been hired on as a librarian here. She has glasses that she kind of like pushes up on her face when you come over. And she says, yes, love, how can I help you? Hi, I am just... My my grandpa just passed away. Oh, I'm I'm so so sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before he had passed, we had shared an interest in ancient Latin, ancient Latin texts, and he was he was working on trying to teach me, but unfortunately, we didn't get very far, but there was one book that he mentioned just constantly called De Vermiis Mysteries. Oh, well, let me take a look and she walks over to the reference catalog with you and looks through and says, "Oh, Dear, I, I'm so sorry. Um, 
This volume is on a special list compiled by our head of the library, Dr. Henry Armitage, and uh, you need his permission to to be able to look at that tome. It's it's on a special collection that he has to give permission to see. Is there anything that you could do to help me out? If I need to, I would like to do some sort of charm roll. Yeah, go ahead and give me a go ahead and give me a charm roll. Okay, forty five under eighty, which is regular success. Yeah, she says, you know, I, I can see that this is important to you. I believe that Doctor Doctor Armitage is is down in his office. Why don't I Why don't I take you down there? You can at least talk to him yourself. So she walks you over to a set of stairs and you head down into what you assume is the basement of the library. And she walks you to an office door that's closed. There's a gold plaque on it that says Dr. Henry Armitage, head of the library. And she knocks on it and you hear kind of an old, an older voice, but with but still kind of commanding that says, yes, yes, who is it? Come in. And she opens up the door for you and says, uh, Dr. Armitage, this is this is Margaret O'Malley. Um, she wanted to speak with you about one of the, the books in the special collection that you've been that you've been looking into. Um, I'm going to I'm going to leave her here if you if I need to I need to go. But she wanted to talk to you about this. And uh, the librarian kind of scurries off kind of as as if I don't know, she felt like she was. She was nervous to be bothering Dr. Armitage. He's incredibly old. He, what little hair he has left has turned completely white. But it's clear when he talks that his voice is commanding, his wits are really sharp, and he says, Yes, come in, dear. What is the book that you'd like to see? Can you tell me the name of the book? De Vermees Mysteries. And he, when you say the name of the title, his face becomes more serious. And he like looks at you very closely as if he's like, studying you trying to see if like there's something that you're not telling him and he says please shut the door and come sit down i don't think you understand how dangerous that text is and that is where we are going to end our story for now dun 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 <laughs> This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Chaosium Inc. slash Moon Design Publications LLC, which are used under Chaosium Inc.'s fan material policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Chaosium Inc. For more information about Chaosium Inc.'s products, please visit chaosium.com. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at NOMGpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash NOMGpodcast. podcast.